If you would turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We'll be in Ephesians, chapter 4. And we'll be looking at verses 15 and 16 today. So Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. And as you get there, will you tell the truth? And in particular, in the context, right? Will you tell the truth about the Christmas gifts you get this year? Now, obviously, we don't want to hurt people's feelings who go out of their way to get us things. We don't want to seem ungrateful or not thankful for that which someone has spent money or effort, energy, time on getting for us. So what are we to do? All right, I'll just briefly answer this because this isn't really the point, but uh, briefly... We shouldn't lie, but we need to find ways to graciously say thank you, but also not make the other person uh, think that we have received the best gift ever. Uh, and that last part is especially important because what will happen is next year we'll get the same thing but more, right? So if we're not careful, we'll end up getting the same thing. Uh, I could tell you an anecdote from my work about someone who gets something uh, that they that is made for them uh, some baked goods and they're terrible but they feel the need every time to say oh I just love these so much and so they get more of them every year I think that's not the way to do it okay right so we shouldn't lie let's tell the truth and be gracious and thankful uh, for what we get but more than gift giving how should we talk to one another how, how should we communicate with one another? What should the content of our conversation within the church be? Because we live in very divisive days. Um, I mean, go on social media and you'll see somebody arguing with somebody else about something. And if you look at the conversation long enough, you'll probably get to the point where someone either says, you're as bad as Hitler, because there, there's a law there for that, a rule that, that that's where every conversation has to end up. Uh, so you're as bad as Hitler, or you're wrong and I wish you were dead. And I know that may sound like an exaggeration, but that's often how the, how the course of conversation within our culture goes, at least certainly online. Um, as we come to our passage today, Paul gives us instruction on what we should strive for in our speech towards one another. So today I want us to consider in our passage that Christ-like speech leads to Christ-like growth. Christ-like speech leads to Christ-like growth. So let us look at our passage today. I'll read that for us out of Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. And the word of God reads, Rather, speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So remember, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, but not just to the church in Ephesus. It's intended to be read by other churches as well. He's writing to Christians. So that's the context which we need to receive this. Paul is writing to the saints, to the holy ones, to those who believe in Christ and are saved. And the first three chapters of Ephesians are encouragement, their thanksgivings and prayers to God, their they are a call to remember who we are outside of God's grace towards us in Christ. And then in chapter 4, we begin into instruction, into teaching, into this is how we need to live now. And indeed, that's what Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 4, when he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? The goal is, the goal is a worthy walk. And the means to that, as Paul gives in the next, in the following verses, is unity among the church, unity among the saints, a unity that God gives to his people but also unity that we are to be eager to maintain. We, we are to be striving to nurture and grow. And part of that gift of unity is the gift of ministers of the word. That's verse 11, right? That God gives leaders to his people to lead the people in unity and in understanding the word. And the goal of those ministers ought to be the maturity of the people, the adulthood of the people, a mature Christian who is not deceived by false doctrine or by those who teach it. So now we turn to our passage today in verses 15 and 16, and this is broader than just speaking to the ministers. So this is more than just the ministers are responsible for this. This is all Christians are responsible for what we're going to unpack today. We should strive for, uh, all the saints should strive for what we're going to see today. And so let's see first in verse 15, speak to grow. Speak to grow. So verse 15 begins rather, or depending on your translation, but. And this is a contrasting word, right? So what is it contrasting to? Well, the end of verse 14. Look at the description of the kind of people at the end of verse 14, right? We don't want to be children tossed to and fro. We want to be mature adults because there are those who teach doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So there are those who teach with lies and falsehood. So rather or but, what are we to do? We are called to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
That's what we're to do. But what is the means for us to do that? How are we to grow up in every way into Christ? We are to speak the truth in love, right? Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. So what does this mean? Well, first, let's see speaking the truth. Let's understand this component of it. What does it mean to speak the truth? And again, look at the context here. The context of verse 14 tells us that there are those who use human cunning. We might say worldly wisdom if we were in the book of James. Right? They use craftiness, treachery, deceitful schemes. What is Paul saying? He understands, he knows that there are men who preach and teach, who instruct and lead in lies. There are men who stand behind the pulpit every week and do not mean what they say. Now, there's a couple ways that we can understand this, right? And what I mean by that. There are men who know that certain sound bites, certain phrases will get them a hurrah, an amen, or whatever is the, the method of, of exclaiming and getting accolade, applause, and the rest. There are men who say whatever the itching ear wants to hear because it's financially beneficial to them, right? They know that if they can gather a wide enough audience, they're set for life and they can have it all. They won't preach the difficult things of the Bible because they know people don't want to hear that. And I'll go for the easy one because he's the most popular one and, and, and it's probably the one we know the best, right? Joel Osteen. He doesn't want to preach about sin. He doesn't think his, his ministry isn't about touching on the issue of sin. I'd say that's a big problem. And there are men, so that's one way that men lie. They leave out, they speak with cunning, human cunning, in order to deceive others for their own gain. There are also men who preach lies in this way. They don't say what they mean. They preach about purity. They preach about the sanctity of marriage. And they go out sleeping with prostitutes and parishioners. They give themselves a pass on the sins that they preach against because the rules they preach don't apply to them. In all that to say, right, we don't have to look very far to understand what Paul means. That there are men who manipulate immature Christians. We can know that's true. Right? We don't have to look far. Shamefully, we don't have to look far within the church to see this to be true. And that's just within the church. We're not even talking about those outside the church. And we know that's true. The contrast to that then here is, but rather speaking the truth, telling the truth, 
rather than speaking deceitfully, speaking honestly. Now I have to remark here, because in our culture we say things like, well, let me tell you my truth. This is my truth. It's a popular concept. Again, watch celebrity interviews, watch interviews of culture makers, politicians, and you'll undoubtedly hear that phrase at some point during the interview. You'll hear that phrase, let me tell you my truth. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about your truth. He's talking about the truth. We are talking about that which is objectively true. We're talking about that which is biblically true. And we don't have time today to unpack a defense of objective truth. So I'm just going to say as a given, as a premise, I'm going to tell you that there is such a thing as objective truth. Again, there are many in our, in our culture who would argue against that. They would argue such things as there is no such thing as objective truth. However, let me go ahead and tell you a problem with their argument. The statement, there is no such thing as objective truth, is an objective truth. So what they say, they, they speak against what they say just in what they say. So just understand that, right? So I'm not going to give you a full defense of that. And if you do have questions about that, we can talk about that at another time. But, but just understand right now, there is objective, real, biblical truth. And here's what objective truth is. It's true regardless if anyone believes it or not. Do you understand that? That's what objective truth is. It's true regardless if you believe it or not. I don't care if you believe it or not. It's true. And we are not to use means. So for us in the church, rather speaking the truth, we are not to use means of deceit and manipulation that others do. We are not to package the Bible or the message of the gospel with manipulative flattery. Any lie in our gospel is a lie, and that's a problem. Even if we are stretching the truth for good ends, we've used bad means to get there and have failed. We are to use the truth. Why? Well, who is Jesus? John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus is the truth and we're to follow after Jesus, that has some bearing on what we are about then too, doesn't it? We should be in and of the truth and we should speak the truth. Okay, so practically looking, what does this look like? What, what does this mean? How do we understand this and unpack this? Well, consider this as a church, as a church. If we present the gospel or the biblical message, we do so without adorning it with manipulation or deceitfulness. That means when I tell you something from the Bible, that I'm telling you what the Bible says, first and foremost, and not what I think the Bible says. And if I'm telling you what I think the Bible says, 
you should hear me say, this is what I think the Bible says, right? So I should qualify those things. But we should, we should speak the message of the gospel crystal clear. If we win people with exaggeration or emotional manipulation, we should not be surprised when they leave the truth for another exaggeration or manip emotional manipulation that they like better. And again, I think in the American church, we, we feel the effects of this. We see the effects of it, of generations of people who say, I once believed in Christ, but I don't any longer. Why? Because they never believed at all. And what they believed in was emotional manipulation. They believed in a lie. We shouldn't be surprised when they go after another lie when they believed in a lie to begin with. So as a church, we can consider that. You as a Christian, as an individual Christian, that means you have to tell one another the truth. We need to call sin, sin. And listen, this may well be some of the most difficult work we will do in our Christian walk is to tell the truth. Why do I say that? What do I mean? Because when someone comes into our midst who is earnest, who's kind, who we befriend, but who enters out into sin without regard uh, for the eternal consequences, we have to call them to repentance. And that's difficult to do. I have to confront people from time to time, but I do not like doing it. And I think you probably agree with that sentiment too, right? The, the last thing you want to do is say, you're living in sin. You're, you are in sin right now and you need to repent. Listen, I've been in a, a conversation with a group of friends before and I could tell, I could feel in my spirit that we were entering into gossip. And I had to do the most awkward thing and just say, guys, I think we're gossiping right now. And that's awkward, right? That's weird. That's, that's, that's hard to do. It's not something that I wanted to say. And I don't, by the way, say that to, to press me up because I was involved in the gossip, right? I was part of the problem. But we need to confess our sins and we need to call one another unto repentance. Let me be more specific Parents, when your child comes to you and tells you, you know, I know I was born a man or I was born a woman, but I don't feel that way anymore. I think I'm really the other sex. And I'm going to, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to walk towards that. I'm going to live that way because that's how I feel. Speaking the truth in that moment is going to cost you because for them and for the surrounding culture, understand this is what it's going to cost you in their mind, because this is the mind of our culture and their mind for them to hear you say you're wrong. It is though you're killing them because to deny their identity that they choose in life is paramount to murder, homicide. And that may sound like an exaggeration, but it's not. And if you 
follow enough of those stories, you can hear uh, responses from such from such children who say things like, well, if you're not going to accept me, I'm just going to go kill myself then. Again, it may sound like an exaggeration, but it's not. And, and so, brothers and sisters in Christ, you who are parents, you have to speak the truth in love. Or brothers and sisters in Christ, a church member comes to us and says, our best friend comes to us and says, I'm leaving my wife. I don't love her anymore. Oh, by the way, there's this new woman. And I love her a lot. And this church member, maybe he's an elder. Maybe he's influential. Maybe he's a founding member. Maybe he's a great friend. And we may look upon such a hypothetical and say, well, I know what I would do in that situation. I just tell, brother, you got to repent. That's easy to say now on this side of it. But when we're in the midst of it, will we speak the truth? Or will we compromise? And let's just confess that. That compromise is easier. It's easier to go with the lie than to speak the truth. It's easier to look beyond the unrepentant sin and say that God will look past those things too. But that's not our calling in Christ. That's not how we walk worthy of our calling. Even though it may seem to the contrary... Letting unrepentant sin go unaddressed works against unity. Right, so if the argument of this passage of chapter 4 is be eager to strive for the, for the unity of the body, seek it, it's a gift of God and God gives gifts to that end, we may think that what unity means is not addressing these things. But in actuality, to leave them unaddressed destroys unity. Christ-like speech is what leads to Christ-like growth. And so may we pray this. May the Lord give us grace and strength to address sin and to speak the truth. And here's the reality. Paul knows that it's difficult. So this isn't, again, Paul writing from a hypothetical, right? He's not in a university room and just kind of thinking about uh, some hypotheticals and some theories of things that may happen or not happen. This is the reality for Paul. In his letter to the Galatians, for instance, in Galatians 4.16, he actually uses the same word here for speaking the truth to the Galatians, and he says in Galatians 4.16, he writes, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And what's the context of the letter of the Galatians? They had begun following after a false gospel. They had listened to false teachers who had come into the church and began to tell lies by human cunning and deceitful schemes, and they begun to follow after those lies, and they've abandoned the gospel that Paul taught to them, and Paul's rebuking them. And by the way, go through and read the book of Galatians, and you see some strong rebuke from Paul. There's some times where you're just like, wow, Paul, that's, that seems harsh. And so he writes... Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Do we become enemies by telling the truth? 
Sometimes speaking the truth hurts to those whom we are speaking, right? It hurts them. Sometimes the truth is offensive and we are offended by it. But that's also why in this we have to consider the other part to what Paul writes here. He says, speaking the truth and love. So let's consider that part. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Paul to the Galatians, after asking that question, writes this in Galatians 4.19. So I just want you to listen to the heart of Paul. He asked them, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? And then listen to these words that Paul writes and answer the question, is Paul their enemy? Paul writes, Galatians 4.19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So what I want to point out there is, what, is Paul, what does Paul write to them? Is Paul their enemy? No, he calls them little children. Listen to what he says about, I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Right? Paul may have written to them harshly, but it comes from a place of love. It all flows from love. Sometimes the doctor has to re-break the bone in order to set it properly that it may heal properly. And sometimes our speaking the truth hurts the other person. And we are not called to speak the truth in an offensive way. Right? May we never be offensive for the sake of being offensive. Right? This again is another problem we find in our culture and sometimes even in Christian culture. There are men in the church who speak the truth and they preach the gospel but you can also tell by their manner sometimes the way that they do that that they actually derive pleasure from humiliating their opponents from harming and being harsh with others and we share in their sin by the way when we congratulate such men for their harshness God is not calling us to speak harshly and offensively to one another, even if we tell the truth. Speaking the truth and doing so in love is not one option out of many. It is the way that we are to speak the truth. It's to be in love. These are not separable things that we sometimes join together. These go together always. When we speak the truth, we ought do it in love. Let us consider an example of this, of what we're thinking about. Jesus gives us a perfect example of this, uh, as we might expect, in Mark chapter 10. So turn with me there to Mark 10, verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. And let us see how Christ speaks to the rich young ruler. Because he speaks the truth in love. He offends this rich young ruler, but he's not offensive to the rich young ruler. Right? So let's see this model of this. 
Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Right, this man runs to Jesus and says, I want to know, what's, how do I get eternal life? How can I be sure that I know that I have eternal life? And while he may have had good answers, right, I've done, I've, I've kept the commandments. There was still something in his heart that he worshipped and adored greater than God. He and Jesus knew this. He knew what captivated this man. He knew what motivated this man. And notice in the verse 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, Jesus spoke the truth in love. He knew what was at the heart of the needs of this man, and he spoke it even though the man was disheartened by it, was offended by it, went away sorrowful because of it. But he loved him enough to tell him the most difficult, impossible thing that he needed to do, that he may obtain eternal life. And so my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, is before you speak the truth, Look at the person whom you are about to put on blast. Look at the person whom you're about to pick the speck out of their eye and love them. Love them enough to take care with what you say. Love them enough to point them to Jesus. Love them enough to confront their sin. Because love does not remain silent when evil reigns. Love does not lie about the consequences of our actions before God. Love does not speak to offend someone else just because it might make us feel better. Love is not about lifting ourselves up by putting other people down. Love is considering the other person and speaking words of grace. Back in Ephesians 4, a little bit further down from our passage in verse 29, in Ephesians 4, 29, Paul will write, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Speak what fits the occasion. So, 
What's the aim or the goal of our speaking, right? What, what, what are we trying to accomplish in speaking the truth in love? Because let's not forget back in our passage that speaking the truth in love is not the goal. It's the means we get to the goal. So what's the goal? Growth, right? We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Our purpose in doing this is growth. The reason we speak the truth in love to other people, the reason we speak the truth in love to one another as church members is growth. Growth into Christ's likeness. That we may be more like Christ and that the people we are speaking to may be more like Christ. And what part should be uh, growing up in Christ's likeness? What does our passage say? In every way. Every way. Every way we are to be growing up. In all aspects, we are to be growing up into Christ. And who is Christ? Right again, he is our head. He is the head of the church. He is the head of our church. He is the head of us as believers. He is the head of the kingdom of God. He is the one we look to in all things, in all circumstances. He is the one we keep our eyes focused on. And it's good that we have this time of year, this season, in which we remember the first coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. But also let us not forget Jesus in the rest of the year. Right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So why do we look to him? Why should we study his word? Why should we strive to live as he lived? Why do we care about these things? Because he is our head. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the one to whom we are being conformed into by God. We best like the Jesus of the scriptures because he who is who we are to be for all eternity. We're going to be like him in every way. If indeed we are in Christ. And here's something important for us to consider as a church, as a young church. Church growth is not measured by quantity, but quality. Which is to say, we should not be most focused on gathering the most amount of people in one place. As much as we should be concerned about growing up in every way into Christ. That's our concern. And by the way, I know that's easy for us to say while we are smaller, it's easy for us to nod our head in agreement now but will we be so committed to this when we add 100 or 200 or 500? Will our thoughts be brought back to this moment that success in the church is not about size, but fidelity to the word and to Christ? The aim is not the number of the moving parts, 
but the working of those parts together. And so to that end, let us consider our last verse of our passage, verse 16. Let us think about this in join to build. So join to build in verse 16. So right, if we are in Christ, if we are designed, we are commended, we are commanded to grow up and into Christ. Christ is the head of the church, the church is his body, and the body is joined together. To what end? To grow. To grow. Every joint or every ligament is there to supply the body with what it needs to work. If you did not have ligaments in your body, it would be a very painful existence, and you wouldn't really be able to move. Ligaments are essential. Your body wouldn't work. Your body wouldn't grow. It would be in a fault state. We want to use a, a technological term. It would be hurt. It could be that Paul, when he writes here about uh, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped or every joint that supplieth, that, that those joints or those ligaments in, in view are the ministers of the word back up in verse 11. And we could see that, right? The ministers of the word are there to help lead the people in growth and Christ-likeness. And by the way, that has a double meaning there. They should be the first and foremost of those growing in Christ-likeness, but they also should be leading those under their care in Christ-likeness, to grow in Christ-likeness. But even more generally, right, what we see here, when each part is working properly, the body is built up. You need each part in your body to work effectually so that the body may grow. When one part of the body is out of step, the rest is hindered. Growth is hindered. For instance, if you mess up your ankle and you start hobbling a little bit extra to make up for that suddenly your knee starts to hurt and then your hip starts to hurt and then your back starts to hurt and before you know it your whole body is hurting because you have a bum ankle and you're walking funny and then you're really out of step your body's not building itself up and so too with the church Right? Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are a vital part to the body. You are vital to the church. How do I know that? Am I just trying to be nice and flatter you all this morning? No, look at what the scripture says. You know how I know that? 1 Corinthians 12. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, and verses 22 to 27 1 Corinthians 12:22 to 27 On the contrary the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable This is about the church folks On the contrary the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable we bestow the greater honor and our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So let me tell you, Christian, you are vital to the body of Christ. It's not just preachers, pastors, teachers, Sunday school teachers, what have you, deacons. Those aren't the only ones that are vital to the body of Christ. I know we, we, we think that sometimes because they're the most out front. They're the most uh, represented. They get the most airtime. But you, believer in Christ, are vital to the body. You're indispensable to the body. And if one member suffers, we all suffer. And if one member is honored, we all rejoice. So do you understand that you're joined with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for the purpose of God glorifying growth? Right? That's what it says here. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right? Love is indispensable to the growth of the body of Christ. We need to love one another beloved. We need to love one another. We need to strive to love one another. We need to love one another enough to tell the truth, to speak the truth, even though it may wound for a time. When each part is working properly, when you're doing what you have been called to by God in the body of Christ, you're building the body up in love. So let's attend ourselves to that which makes for healthy growth. Christ-like speech, so that's speech that is true, spoken in love. Christ-like speech leads to Christ-like growth. That's the way that God intended. Right? It's truth spoken in love leads us to being more like the way, the truth, and the life. So what does this all mean for you? Well, if you're in Christ, speak the truth. If that hasn't been apparent now, right, I'll make it more apparent. I'll beat you over the head with this. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Don't let the allure of attainments, of honor, of position, of power, of wealth, whatever it may be that motivates you, don't let those things allure you to speak that which is false. Don't neglect to speak the truth just because it's difficult. Let's again acknowledge that at this moment, in this service, it is easy to commit to speaking the truth. I don't think very many of us get up in the morning and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to tell lies everywhere I go. I'm going to commit to lying today. Today is going to be a, a day of lies. All right, we don't do that. So it's easy to commit to speaking the truth. But this afternoon, this evening, this week, when you're confronted with the option to compromise and tell the lie because it's easier, and again, let's just confess, lying is easier. It's easier to lie. It costs much less to lie in the, 
in the immediacy than it does to tell the truth. Because in the moment, when we're confronted with that this week, that option of truth or lie, it'll be easier for us to lie because it means we won't have to have that difficult conversation with our spouse. Right? It means because it's easier to lie because we cannot bear the thought of our child rejecting us. It's easier to lie because we know it may buy us some points with that person that we want to know better or to be closer with or what have you. So when you are confronted with the option to speak the truth or compromise with a lie, that is the moment of difficulty, right? So here it's easy to say, yes, I'm going to speak the truth. Then it's going to be difficult. But no, neglect the truth. Pray to God and ask him. God, give me grace to speak the truth. Give me boldness to speak the truth. Give me clarity to speak the truth. And speak it in love. Right? Don't neglect that. Don't neglect to speak the truth in love. Don't neglect love in your communication. You can say, it is possible to say difficult things lovingly. Or you can say difficult things in a way that demeans and tears down. <clears throat> so don't, don't go for the easy lie. And also don't go for the easy, I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to speak it so harshly that it's just going to offend you and you won't receive it. Speak it in love. You're called to be a builder. You're like a master gardener. And sometimes you have to prune the plants. You have to cut unproducing branches. You have to snap them off. And by the way, you do that because you know without pruning, the plant doesn't grow. There's something in this for us, I think. All right, we could look at John 15, by the way, and see where God is the gardener. And he prunes the branches that produce fruit. And for those branches that produce no fruit, he cuts off and throws into the fire. This is what Christ does when he says challenging things during the course of his ministry. He, we could look at the difficult sayings of Jesus, the hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, for instance, when he says, Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And people go, this guy's crazy. I'm out of here. Right. He spoke the truth in love and they didn't want to hear it. Also, this is what the spirit does when we meditate upon the word. Right. The spirit does this work within us. I don't know about you, but I've sometimes had the spiritual slap in the face. Or you're just reading a passage of scripture and you go, Woe is me. This is me. Oh, God, forgive me. That's what the Spirit does. Speaks the truth in love. With the aim of growth. So speak that way. Speak to build up. Speak to give grace to those to whom you're talking. And that church is what we should be doing. We should be growing. Not focus on the number of the people that we have. But rather, are we more like Christ? We're almost at the end of the year. In a week, we'll be there. 
And are you more like Christ now than you were at the beginning of the year? Is your speech more conform to Christ than it was at the beginning of the year? Is your actions more Christ-like than they were before? Is how you think changed by God's word? Are you being conformed to Christ or conformed to this world? The growth is the goal. Are we growing in our knowledge of Jesus? Are we acting more like him? And when the church speaks the truth in love, the church is built up into the love of Christ. When we instead compromise the truth and when we speak falsehood to satisfy our earthly desires, we may feel good about it. It feels good sometimes to speak lies. We can build an audience around such things. Again, we don't have to look very far. I'm talking about churches within our own community whose whole ministry, whose whole philosophy of ministry, how they handle and understand the things of God. It's not, we don't have to look very far before we find a church that is built upon falsehood and lies. And I'm not even talking about cults that are popular, that have presence in our community. I'm talking about people who go to the Bible and say, yes, the Bible is the basis for what we do. But it's not. And it's evident in what they say, what they emphasize, what's important, what they gather to do. Let me go ahead and tell you, if you're at a church and the church is gathering together for worship, is about entertainment, about making you feel uh, fine and dandy and all the rest, you may be in a place built upon falsehood and compromise. A lie that feels good in the moment. And by the way, it feels good for someone to say, don't worry about your sin. You're good as you are. Come as you are, stay as you are, go as you are. It feels good to hear that. We feel accepted and affirmed. But lies that feel good at the moment lead to rot in the body, not growth. By the way, husbands and fathers, this is your calling for your family, to grow your family. You have a calling from God to lead your family in the truth. You need to learn how to speak the truth in love. You need to lead in that. Your children may not want it and your wife may not want it, but that is your calling from God. One thing that holidays can often make clear is that families are the one place where we will speak the truth, but not in love. Sometimes in the heat of the moment, we say something to our brothers, which is true, but designed not to build them up, but to demean and tear them down. How we speak matters. How you speak to your brothers matter. How you speak to your husband matters. How you speak to your wife matters. And by the way, on this score, I'm thankful to my own wife because I often speak the truth uh, more harshly than I ought, not in love, and she's gracious to correct me. 
We need to also be reminded about the warnings of the scripture here. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Doesn't that sound similar to what Paul writes here in the book of Ephesians? Right? There are those who by human cunning and craftiness, they go after children, those who are immature in the faith, to serve their own appetites. There are those who serve themselves in what they speak, and they create impediments to healthy growth. Lies are not morally neutral, right? So let's just confess here. Lies are not morally neutral. Speaking lies is not a neutral act. What do I mean by this? To lie is sin. That's what the scripture tells us. It's the antithesis of who God is. And to speak a lie to someone else is to actually hate them. For not telling a person the truth of their own state before God must be an act of hatred. Lying does not serve the other person. It only serves the one telling it. So some of you may need to repent of your lifestyle of lying. Some of you need to flee such evil wickedness as has commonly come to your lips. Some of you think that you are righteous before God, but are in a most desperate state. Some of you need to hear the difficult truth. And I say this in love. You are dead. You are dead in sins and trespasses. You stand condemned before God. You are under his righteous wrath. And you will die. And upon your death, you will enter into that place that is forever away from God's good presence, hell. Unless you repent of, unless you turn from your sins, you will perish without hope. So turn to Christ Jesus because he came, right? That's, that's what we celebrate in Christmas. This is what we remember the first advent, the first coming of Christ. This is why we sing of these things to remind ourselves that Christ Jesus came and he came for a vital purpose. He came not to teach nice things. He came not to leave good sayings behind. He came and lived the perfect life that God required he died on the cross to bear the sins of his people, to bear God's wrath for his people's sins. He was buried, and there he lay in the grave three days. But on the third day, he arose. He defeated death and sin. He rose for our justification. And he ascended to the right hand of God, where there he works on our behalf. He intercedes on our behalf. 
He's our advocate before the Father. And he awaits the day when he will come again. And how we long for Jesus to come again and to take his people to his side that we may be with him where he is forevermore. You can be part of his body. You can be built up in love. You can be saved if you confess your sins and turn from them to Jesus. And then speak the truth in love. Tell the wonderful story of Jesus. Let, let his word fill your mind and mouth. Oh, may his people be built up in Christ-likeness through truth spoken in love. Let us pray to that end. Our Father in heaven, you who are exalted in glory, you who are majesty enthroned, you who are wonder and beauty, O oh, holy God, we come before you this day. And Father, we confess our failures before you freely. Father, our hearts are quick to go to you and ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, Father, please forgive us of our sins. And Lord, help us, strengthen us to defeat them, to, to put an end to them. Give us of your spirit to that end. Father, purify our lips that we may speak the good news of Christ, that we may give grace to others who hear us, that we may stir one another up to love and to good works. Father God, that, that out of our mouths may pour a spring of blessed water for the good of many. Father, forgive us of our failings to this end. Forgive us for failing to speak the truth in love. Forgive us for failing to speak the truth. And, oh God, we pray that your truth might inhabit us, that we might understand it and comprehend it. Father, we pray that for those in our midst who are dead in their sins and trespasses, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would come upon them and that they would know the truth. Father, do this work which you alone can do. We pray, we plead by the mercies of Christ that you would save sinners. And Father, we pray for our own sake that we would be sanctified, made holy, made like unto Christ. God, we pray for the grace that we need for the days ahead, for this day, for the, for the hours ahead of this, of this very own day. Lord, that we would speak the truth in love. Help us, Lord to the praise of your glory. And for our good, we pray these things in the name of our only Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, he who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.